remember this time of year as uh, my favorite as a kid when I was really little, uh, favorite time to go to church. Didn't love church growing up, but during Advent, um, they would put a new banner up every week as you went through the four weeks, and it was like faith, hope, love, joy, or something like that. And I could just see it getting closer to Christmas every week. And it was like this visible reminder. And I also knew Advent's relatively short compared to Lent, for instance. Lent lasts forever. And you don't get any presents at Easter. You get a basket. But Christmas, it just, Advent just felt so exciting. You've got the Advent calendar, getting ready for Christmas. And as a kid, I always knew exactly what I wanted. Nobody had to, like, coax me to make a list of, like, what do you want for Christmas? Because I watched plenty of TV. I saw all the commercials. I knew what my friends had, what I wanted. Um, but it kind of changes as you grow up, and it becomes like a race against the clock to get other people presents. Because when you're a kid, it's just like, take, take, take. And then when you're an adult, you're on, on for other people's uh, presents. And then people ask you, what do you want? And I'm always like, I have no idea. I don't, I don't actually know what I want. Um, and that bothers people because they want to give you something. So what you end up saying, is, at least for me, is like, I guess I don't really want anything. I don't really need anything. Which is kind of, I feel like, an image for when we lose our childlikeness and into this kind of adulthood, so to speak. Um, it's an image of our relationship with God. Where when we're a kid, we're just expecting. We're hopeful. Not for the right things, of course, for these shallow material things that lose their usefulness very quickly and you need something else and something else and something else. And maybe that futility is what teaches us, like, what do I really want? And we don't know. And then when God comes to us, like that, that scene in the gospel where Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine hearing that question from God. What do you want me to do for you? With the presumption that, of course, he wants to do something for me. But he first wants to elicit this desire from me. And do I really know? The blind man knew. Lord, help me to see. I want to see. Um, that's a good answer, by the way. But what do I want? What's... What's my ultimate concern? If I were asked by the king of heaven, I can give you anything you want. What do you want? Do I have an answer? And I think also there's, there's another way that this phenomenon comes into life. And it, you people in college probably know this. When you're a kid, I knew, when I was a kid, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I wanted this, that, and that, the other thing. And I saw these ideals or cool things that I, I could attain someday in an imagined future, and I wanted them. But then as soon as you actually are like choosing a major or choosing a career, you've started to realize that, oh, those things are actually hard, and I actually don't have the talent for a lot of them, so I maybe need to be more re realistic. But now there doesn't seem to be anything that really desire to work for, to really sacrifice to, to get. So I maybe just settle into whatever seems convenient, whatever I'm kind of good at. And then you might fall into a life of just sort of like getting these little victories and um, avoiding humiliation, getting some rewards, avoiding punishments, but never really finding out what is my ultimate concern? What do I want? And this, in contrast to the first reading in Isaiah, the whole Bible, the Old Testament, the people of Israel and the prophets, they had a longing. They had a desire. They knew exactly what they wanted. And this beautiful first reading where Isaiah is um, lamenting, Lord, when are you going to come? 
When are you going to restore us? We've wandered. Why did you let us go astray? And he's talking, of course, about the nation of Israel, but by extension, all of humanity. Um, but what's happened is that the northern ten tribes, these glorious twelve sons of, of Jacob, who are the fathers of twelve tribes of Israel, who each have their parcel of land in the promised land, ten of them have been exiled, never to return. The whole nation of, of Israel, which was united under King David, has been completely destroyed. And then this last kingdom of Judah in the south itself is also exiled. The temple is destroyed and the people are scattered. And it seems like God's whole plan to create a people, to, to make the descendants of Abraham as numerous as the stars and, and settle them in this land of milk and honey. It's like, what happened? And they blame themselves. Isaiah says, Lord, you are angry and we are sinful. That's a great line, by the way. And God's anger, of course, is not like our anger where somebody does something to make us mad and then we despise them. You know, there's, it's a mixture of like, I hated the act, but I also kind of dislike you now. God's anger is never like that. He's perfectly able to clarify what is the action that I despise and who is the person who I love, who that action hurts both the person who perpetrates the sin and the one who is sinned against. God's love, his anger, is, is a result of his great love. But Isaiah is just sitting there in this, in this um, lament, in this sadness, with a huge desire. And he says, um, Would that you might meet us doing right, that we were mindful of you in our ways. Now, here we see the shadow of this hope of what's promised. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. What we actually wait for at Christmas is this great gift that God wants to give us. But would that he would find us watchful, mindful of his ways, not just wandering from thing to thing, not really sure what our ultimate concern is, what are we actually living for, but that we would want what he has to give. I've said this quote many times. It's one of my favorites. Soren Kierkegaard says, a saint is a person who wants one thing. A saint is a person who wants one thing, the one thing necessary, the, the right one thing. We sinners, we want lots of things. I wake up, I'm a bundle of these petty desires. I want coffee. I want like another hour of sleep. I want to deliver a great homily so you guys all think I'm smart. All of these stupid things that are pretty much worthless in the grand scheme of things. But the saint is the person who gets out of bed and those things that they need they get, but they're kind of indifferent to them. Sick or healthy, poor or rich, comfortable, uncomfortable, living or dead, all I want is Christ. And the good thing about that is that I can have him because he always wants to give himself to me. What he's doing for us right here in the Eucharist is constantly pouring out this gift. And what our job is and what this season, I think, is about is growing our desire, keeping our eyes fixed on that thing that we really want for Christmas, what we are actually waiting for, the great gift, our ultimate concern, so that he would find us watchful, so that we aren't caught off guard, that we aren't caught sleeping when he comes, worried about things that don't matter, but to receive him with the joy that he deserves and that we desire.